Hello, and welcome to episode 74 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, September 16th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? This week is on an upswing. Well, that's good. Yes. I'm not afraid to say that I'm really happy the recall failed. That is true. What a boondoggle. That was craziness. How's your week going? It's going. We're having some technical difficulties, so I think this is going to be recorded. The sound quality might not be optimal. We shall see. I will do what I can in the editing process, but apologies if it's not ideal. Yeah, I I can't. I I have no help. I'm just moral support (laughs) here. I just twirl on the stool and... Say wise, yeah. Funny things. Say wise things like, "Did you unplug it and plug it back in again?" Yep. So we're doing what we can. If this is your first time, it usually sounds a little bit better. We appreciate you giving us a listen. This is not your first time. Hopefully, you think yes, that's true. They usually sound much better, (laughs) and you will still listen. Or you can fix it all in the back, and this will all be moot. That's true, and then I'll just delete all this, and we'll move on. Super. What will be usual are our segments on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand. We have, I have a, a total bingo. little ring, bingo wrap-up. Okay, and a bingo wrap-up. But let's get started with on the needles. You're wearing your... I'm wearing a finished, finished object. object because it's San Francisco. And even though it's September, it was only 55 degrees this morning. And I don't think it's gotten much warmer here. No, it's... No. Lovely Where is our foggy. September weather? I don't know. Sad. Know. Anyway, but I have a sweater, so I feel better. So this is my Hide and Peak by Maxim Sear in Farmer's Daughter Mayhem Sportweight Yarn. In my colorways are Bad Rock, Dirty Little Dandelion, One Stab, Pecuni, also known as Gray, Yellow, Pink, and Brick Red. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. And they're all, and I've said this before, they're all pretty muted colors. There's nothing bright or in your face about these colors, but it's lovely. And It's and, very autumnal. Yeah. But you can definitely wear it all year long. Yes. Especially since it's sport weight yarn. So it's a mm-hmm. very nice weight for our climate. And um, this is the pattern that really stands up and proclaims itself as rickrack to yes. my eye. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, and I just think it's fantastic. It looks yeah. so good. Thank you. It was super fun to knit. Yeah, it's a yoke sweater. The top of it is color work with diamonds and checkerboard patterns or diamonds. I keep saying diamonds, triangles and checkerboard triangles in the contrast colors. And then there's a little bit of the checkerboard on the cuffs. And it's just very casual and comfy. And I really enjoy it. And the pattern was really well written. And when you got to the end of the color work, there was a little note congratulating you saying time to have a cocktail. Here's a recipe for a hot toddy. That's so cute. It's adorable. The one thing I didn't like is the cast off was a tubular, tubular bind off. There was just a link to it. There were no instructions within the pattern, which seemed odd. But I mean, I've done the tubular bind off before. So I had the instructions. So I did the the tubular bind off. And for some reason, it was really tight. And I don't know if it's because the number of stitches were the, the, the sweater is unisex. So there is no 
shaping like there might normally be for a woman's sweater. But it you seems tell. plenty big enough for my hips. So I'm not sure why the tubular bind off that I normally do would be problematic. But it it was it was strangely tight. So I ended up pulling it all out. Actually I tinked it, which was like three rows of first the What is tinking? I've never heard that before. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, it's knitting backwards. Frogging is when you rip it out, because uh-huh. ribbit, ribbit. Right. Which is when you would take the, the knitting off of the needles and just start pulling back. And then you have to put them back on. Which, if you have, whatever, 300 stitches, can be tricky. Especially yeah, it's in a nightmare. Yes. Well, your other option is to leave it on the needles, but literally, stitch by stitch, unknit what you've done. So it stays on the needles, but it can take a lot longer. I didn't know you could do that. Of course. I mean, usually you only do it if you have one or two. I didn't fully think through. Actually, that's... Like one or two stitches. Yes. Yeah. It never occurred to me that I would go the distance and... Yeah. It just depends which you think is going to be faster. And to be honest... Well, (laughs) which one is going to cause you less trouble? Definitely unknitting. Because I always mess up the frogging, like, Um, to a certain point or... Yeah. Like, lose a stitch and... Oh but if man. you have, I don't know, half a sweater or something that you have to rip back, you're not going to tink all of that. Right, right, right. If you're going so, miles. And to be fair, I forgot that part of the tubular cast-on involves slipping stitches and moving the yarn back and forth. So I was just thinking the actual final row. Oh, so you might have lost a couple of... Well, no. So I was just thinking, oh, I can tink back one round. That'll be fine. But it was actually tinking back four rounds. <laughs> it took me a while to realize because you're slipping stitches and I, I don't know. It was very complicated and frustrating, but I took, I think, a Saturday afternoon and just sat on my couch with all the light coming in. I could see what I was doing, put on an audiobook and just got it done because I wanted, I wanted the sweater. This is, this is what had to happen. Yeah. And I just did a regular, uh, I did the surprisingly stretchy bind off. Jenny, Judy, forget. There's a stretchy cast on and yeah, a stretchy bind off. We've chatted about it yeah. before. One of them is Jenny, one of them is Judy. Judy's magic cast on, Jenny's surprisingly stretchy bind off. So that was what I did. So now it's fine. And I have sleeves done. They stretch a little bit in the blocking, so I might toss it in the dryer and see if that swoops things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm overall very, very excited about being done with it. It took me about a month, which, you know, I think is pretty good. I think it's fabulous. Yeah. So I have another sweater, which is lovely. And then I started the Andamo Cow by Sarah Jordan, who is PA Knitwit on Instagram and or Ravelry, possibly both. This one I picked for many reasons. It's a beautiful pattern. Very excited about it. But also the Pigskin Party has started, which is a five-month knit-along run by Boston Jen of the Down Cellar Studio podcast. And you get points for knitting things and using sponsor patterns and yarn and all this. So Sarah Jordan is one of the sponsors. And this seemed like kind of a quick knit. I could get a initial hit of points and just feel good about myself. I had totally gone into this knit along planning to be super relaxed about it. I was just going to knit whatever I wanted to knit. It was probably wasn't going to be chatting very much on the boards. I had forgotten how kind of competitive I am. <laughs> and if you tell me, hey, here is a challenge that I'll be like, yeah, sure, I should try that. So (laughs) I've been fairly chatty, at least within my team, and I'm really having to talk myself down from from one of the current challenges, but because I have other other challenges that I have set myself. So anyway, so for the first weekend, you got extra points if you posted a cast-on picture, and so this cowl was 
something that I had picked because it was a sponsor pattern and I had yarn that I could, that was already wound up that I could envision using. So the yarn is from Knit Circus, their greatest of ease base, and it is in two colors. First is Hawaiian Sunset, which is a gradient that goes from like a, uh, like a light peach to a dark magenta. And then the other one is a deep, beautiful purple that is called the Sensible Ms. Dashwood, which is also lovely. And so I had gotten these yarns as a kit for the Alaska hat, um, which I, those were made in 2019, so I must have talked about them. It's this really cool pattern where you use two colors and the solid color, you make trees, and then the background is the gradient. So it looks like trees in front of a sunset, and I made one for me and one for my husband for our trip to Alaska. So I had bought this yarn to use, but then it was too pink for him. So I've just had it sitting, waiting for the perfect pattern, and this was apparently it. So the pattern is this kind of graphic design in the solid color of loops and diamonds, and then it was designed for mini skeins, so color changing in the background. But I've got a gradient, so that's much easier. Right. Um, So I had to mess around with the stitch count a little bit because the pattern calls for DK and I'm using fingering weight. So I'm not entirely sure I'll get the full pattern repeat that she calls for, but I think it'll be a long enough cowl that it won't matter. And the pattern repeats enough that I can pick a place to stop and it'll be, it'll be fine. But it's very addictive because color changes. You just want to see. Yeah. What's going on. And it's an eight stitch repeat around. So it's also really easy to memorize. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very much enjoying that. Yeah. And that's, and then other than that, I've just been lining up my next project because I have the mystery gnome coming up on the 21st. That will have started uh, by the time this comes out. And then also the Hohe Fall Knit Along. I had mentioned the newspaper pullover. Yes. The black and white, it's, or I guess it's like a, a gray and white one that has alternating stripes of these colors. Looks super comfy and awesome. And I decided, oh yeah, I can do this. Because she has a fall knit along, so there was a discount for the pattern. And then I realized it's all in fingering weight brioche. <laughs> so oh I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure that it's going to happen. I think the knit along, the Hoagie one starts on September 21st and goes through October 31st. So a little more than a month. I'm not entirely sure that that's going to actually happen, but I figure it gives me enough motivation. Deadlines are very helpful for me mm-hmm. in, in my world. So I figure if I have that deadline, it'll keep me on track with a sweater. I mean, either it works or it doesn't. So we'll see what happens. Okay. So that did mean I had to unwind, finally, frog my Atlantica from last year. That was the one, I don't know, I used this purple and light gray yarn and it was way too contrasty. I don't remember that, but that's because we were remote. So I don't know that I actually saw it. seen it. Yeah, that's true. It was this really great sweater and I was super excited about it. And then I realized, I don't know, I realized I needed two strands of yarn, not one. And so I ordered some other yarn and I couldn't find the right color. And so then it was too contrasty and I couldn't see anything. And I was like, I'm going to be super cranky if I can't see this pattern that I worked so hard on. Oh, I do remember you talking yeah. about this. But I don't then, know that I ever saw the the colors together. But probably not. I think I'm pretty sure there's a picture on Instagram. So from a while ago. Mm. Um, but the two yarns, so unwinding or un- ripping out and rewinding two strands of yarn that have been held together was another project that I was like, ah, 
but it had to be done. So again, yesterday I just sat down, had some free time. I had one of them going on the ball winder. The other one I was just winding into a ball, put on an audiobook, and just worked my way These through it. These are like knitting chores. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They are the things that must be done so that we can do the fun part. Right. So, but so that got done. So now I have my light gray yarn and a dark gray yarn. So we shall see. I think they are both maybe a little bit thinner than what she calls for. So we might have to do some gauge math. I don't know. It's going to be, mm. we'll see. We'll see. I should probably do some swatching would be, would be the answer here before I get fully involved with this. But you know, it is what it is. Okay. It should make for good content for the podcast. <laughs> uh, and I think that is it. Yes. And you said you had some sewing. Yes, I have been. I got my sewing machine back from the amazing repair place. I use uh, Surge a lot, which is here in San Francisco. And it's a husband and wife team. They are always just really great. They can fix any machine and I don't know. They're just fabulous. And now my machine is doing, it's so quiet. <laughs> I, it's a newer machine. So I didn't really think that it was terrible, but he diagnosed the problem as a thread problem. So I've been using what I thought were really good threads and they kind of weren't. They're mostly, you know, I was using a high quality, what I thought was high quality Gutterman or Coates and Clark thread. And he showed me a trick for looking at where it's manufactured and how to buy a longer staple thread that will be gentler on my machine. Because some of the threads are like sewing with wire, he said. So I'm using this gorgeous new, new to me thread. It's made in Germany and I'll have to post a photo or, or put a link to it because I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but one of his tricks for it was to pick up pick up a strand of thread and loop it like you're gonna thread your needle. And if it makes a nice smooth loop, then the thread should be okay in your machine. But if the thread crimps in one direction or another, if the loop isn't smooth, then there might be some shorter staple uh, fiber in it that is going to be a little harsher on your machine. And you can still use it. You just need to service your machine a little more often. So anyway, I got a little tutorial in taking care of my sewing machine. Then I made some new throw pillows for my living room because I needed I needed a something to display for to wrap up bingo. Oh. Okay. Um, so I made two new throw pillows. I had the cutest green leopard print, um, Ooh. velvet, Ooh. and I d did a green, a lighter green trim and just did a little throw pillow with that. And then the other one is this really cool. It would make an awesome blazer or crazy pants, this floral, and it had a little bit of stretch in it, one directional stretch gorgeous autumnal florals like a creamy background but like a pop of orange and teal and just just a super fun floral and I did a wool backing on it and so I was very happy to display those in the living room for for wrapping up well almost wrapping up bingo then I had a request from back east my back east people and somebody needed what I thought when I agreed to it was a slight alteration on a little jumper from H&M and it was it's for a tween 
So I thought it would be just an easy, they need, needed like a couple inch, uh, an inch taken in on the waist and it was an elasticated waist. And then I was told an inch on the shoulder. And so I thought they meant to take up the shoulder an inch mm-hmm. like that, but really they meant shorten the shoulder by an inch, which meant taking narrow up the, the sleeve. The, like, so narrow the width. Narrow the width of it, which was a, I mean, neither were going to be easy on this particular construction because the thing had a built-in self-contained, like a contained lining. And mm. so I had to take the neckline off and it, it's H it's H and M. So the whole thing is like ephemeral anyway. <laughs> it's pretty fragile. It was a chiffon outer. It's not au couture. No. And and not I mean it's made as efficiently as possible, which also means lots of surged edges. It it was a little bit more of an undertaking than I had anticipated, but I'm feeling really proud of myself for taking it apart. I feel like I learned a lot about that side of garment construction. I did see some interesting like telltale markings, you know, where they had aligned the side seams with the elastic. Like they had taken care to to do some garment construction steps properly, but also there was no 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 wiggle room at all. <laughs> I mean, it was a good thing I was taking it in cuz there was nothing to let out. Hmm. <sighs> Anyhow, I feel like it was a great learning process for me to to take this garment apart and then put it back together again with its alterations. First of all, I was really impressed about the new thread because it handled the fabric beautifully. It didn't snag or anything like that, which I thought was maybe a concern. And I just felt like it was a worthwhile learning process, but it was, it definitely felt in the like sewing chore camp until the, the last couple of hours of pinning it all back together kind of painstakingly. This is a remote alteration. So yeah, they also did not measure things properly and didn't have pins. And I just hope it fits. I hope it fits. You did your best. Yeah. When I took a break from the sewing thing, it did have me thinking, though, about sewing processes and and how beneficial it is to be able to fit on a person. And that is one of the things that I've been struggling with, with, with my own home construction of garments. And I came across, finally, although I should have probably found it first, an interesting article about sloper patterns or block patterns. And these are two, they mean slightly different things, but I'm going to use them interchangeably. It's basically a pattern that is your skin in like muslin, like a non-stretch garment. And then when you take it apart, that's your shape. And so then you can compare it to a commercial pattern and know that you need the the bust adjusted to a certain point. You don't need to keep making those calculations every time for your own fit. And the other thing that you can do is if you see an amazing blouse on a person walking down the street, you can go home and construct that blouse based on your block or your sloper Mm -hmm. pattern and kind of design your own apparel. This is super appealing to me because every time I look at a pattern, including my next sweater pattern, which I finally decided on one. It's appealing to me because 
I want to make alterations to everything. Like I want the neckline more like a jewel, jewel neck. And I want the sleeves to be fitted. And I want, I know how I want things to fit. And so I feel like I've turned a corner in the sewing realm because I started making the, the sloper pattern for my bottom half. I've been fitting this pair of amazing, I think it's called amazing fit pants from Simplicity. I am so close to being done and I'm trying to fit them as best that I can without, I don't have that sloper pattern yet, but I can use these pants as the sloper pattern going forward. Like once I've really fine tuned all the alterations, this is a super long winded way of saying I'm figuring it out. Cool. (laughs) So that's what's been happening on the needles. I did pick my new cardigan, which is the, the anchors cardigan from petite knit. I love, it's a yoke cardigan. It's, have you knit this one? I haven't, but I've, I believe it's in my queue. Yeah. I love the, the look of that yoke Mm -hmm. and it has like five different segments going down. It reminds me of a seashell, but I think I would want to shorten it to four segments, but then it needs to have five. Like, I don't want it that close to my neck. It's pretty, it's pretty, um, crew neck. Mm. And I would rather do a jewel neck, which is more like, Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, eliminate that first. Yep. Anyway. So that'll mean a little bit of mathing. You would just cast on more stitches, right? Or just skip to that portion of the pattern, I guess. Yeah. So cast on (laughs) more stitches. Yeah, I guess so. I'm I'm excited to go. I have to buy the yarn for that. And I'm not Mm -hmm. good about buying online. So I'm going to have to trek to my local yarn shop, which is Imagine It. Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to go with you. Yeah, I, I would love... I haven't been to a yarn store in forever. Yes. I haven't been into most stores in forever outside of the grocery. Love that too. Yeah. yeah. So that's been what's on my needles. And then the easel stuff has been slightly neglected because I've been sewing so much. But I have been sketching in my sketchbook. And I drew some tattoos. Hmm. So. Just because? Well, not for me. Yeah. Spoiler. For actual... I'm a tattoo artist. <laughs> nice. Now. This is probably, I don't know, maybe my 12th tattoo. So I've done several. I don't know that I've ever really talked about it. I don't think I've ever heard you mention that, so no. Some of them are very elaborate, floral with birds, and there's one that's a giant lily that I did. A lot of bird ones. But I have done several in the past year or two that are strictly handwriting, my handwriting. And this feels like cheating to me because it's just my handwriting. And I write it a couple of times and then off it goes and it becomes permanent ink on somebody's body. But I've been doing a little series of tattoos where it's a particular quote and then incorporating initials into the text of the quote. So like the, the serif, or the sans serif on a cursive eye will have like a little initial underneath of it. Hmm. You know what I mean? So that's been fun. Yeah. So I think two two tattoos went on skin in ink last week. Wow. Yeah. It's not something that I advertise because... <laughs> I mean, we've been doing this for almost... We're wrapping up three years. We're oh going to be gosh. headed into our fourth year. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah I think... And I have never heard this. So. I have a little group that You're a I've been... a stealth tattoo artist. I'm a stealth tattoo artist, and I've been... I think what... I, can, I, I am not a tattoo artist. I draw things that a tattoo... A proper tattoo artist then translates mm. into ink. But it looks exactly like I drew it on somebody. I'm not actually tattooing a person. <laughs> right. We should put that at the beginning. <laughs> I'm not actually tattooing someone. I think that was understood. Okay, good. I didn't think um, you were actually doing the tattooing. <laughs> that would be very stealth. Yes. And especially because I'm like the... Yeah. People might be suspicious. Yeah. I don't have a single tattoo mark no. on me. We may be the last two people. Yeah, I think so. So that's what's been on the easel. Cool. A wild variety. Yes. This is the variety show. Um, on the table, my first note is my soup of randomness. Soup of randomness. Soup of randomness. So I had a bit of a food breakdown. I had to text Courtney. It's like, I am done planning meals. I hate this. I just want to cook what I want to cook. I don't want to deal with anybody's issues. I'm done. Can I tell you that when I saw your text come through, I was like, thank God. I complain about cooking all the time, and I live with a bunch of omnivores who will eat pretty much anything. Monica is a saint, and she cooks, like, four different cuisines with dietary restrictions. I mean, I want to not kill my husband, so... I know, but... (laughs) I know. I appreciate it. So I I just needed to text her, and I was like, okay, I feel better. I'm done. I can go back to menu planning. I was still, but it, I wasn't fully over it. So you made random soup? So I made random soup. I was like, I don't care. I mean, it's, and it's September, which we are not technically in fall yet, but it is September. So mentally we are, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. And I was like, you know what? I've got sort of bits and bobs. Let's make some soup. So vegetable broth and onions. And I had a quarter of a box of gluten-free macaroni left over from something. So I threw that in there. And then we'll throw in a can of white beans. See, I do use canned beans. And then I had a handful of kale that was left over from when I made salad. So I threw that in there. Um, I think what started this all was, was that I had a handful of green beans left from my produce box. Those did not actually make it, make it in because I pulled it out and they were gone by they had gone so they did not get used which was very sad but i had some frozen peas i threw them in there can of tomatoes went in there as well so just (laughs) sort of random things that i kept pulling out from my cupboard in my fridge it actually turned out quite tasty i made some cornbread to go with it and my husband really liked it he always he's always very good about making compliments but he kept complimenting this he's like this is so great this is really good i'm like you're like, okay. this is my fed up with you soup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it was really quite tasty. It's been summer, so I haven't made soup in a while. And so it was really nice. So I was very pleased with, with that, my soup of randomness. I do tacos of randomness. <laughs> that is another good one. Yeah, I went through a series because we still have pasta nights. I have gone through other nights where I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do Taco Tuesday. Right. So like, let's see how long we can pull this out. There's so many taco recipes. So, and then that eventually fell by the wayside, but tacos are good too. And then the other thing, still making recipes from Otolenghi's Simple, which I forget what it stands for, but the S-I-M-P-L actually, he's made it stand for things like make ahead and 
I don't know, other things. I can't, I can't imagine what they stand for at this point, but I was like, oh, that's cool. So each of the recipes has a, a guide to what, what kind of easy recipe it is, but they are also quite simple generally. So the first one was hot charred cherry tomatoes with cold yogurt. Ooh. So you mix the tomatoes, the cherry tomatoes, with herbs and spices and lemon zest and oil, and you roast them for a while. And you get some Greek yogurt and mix it with a little lemon, and you keep that cold, cold, cold. When the tomatoes come out of the oven, you put the yogurt on a plate, and you put the hot tomatoes on top of the cold yogurt, and there's just this melange. It was really beautiful. I don't know that anybody in my family quite appreciated the contrasts and the the deliciousness of the taste melding, but um, I really enjoyed that quite a lot. And then, I don't know if this was the same night, it might have been, a zucchini and a walnut salad where you infuse oil with lemon and garlic and thyme, and then you let that cool, and you mix it with really thinly shaved or mandolined zucchini and some lightly toasted walnuts. Again, really easy, really clean, Mm -hmm. but just very, very tasty. Nice. And then most of my other recipes have been from weekday vegetarians, so I can't... We've entered that part of the the season where we're preparing for a cookbook review, which means most of the recipes that are new are coming from the cookbook, so you'll get Mm -hmm. to hear about that later. Yeah. There are a lot of good ones. I started cooking from it, too. Yeah. It's exciting. It is. How about you? (sighs) A fair bit of cooking. Nice. I made the citrus pie bars from 100 Cookies because my husband bought that five-pound bag of limes. Right. And I had limes coming out of the woodwork. I hadn't made that when we did the cookbook review for 100 Cookies. It is excellent. It's a graham cracker crust and then a lime filling that has egg in it. And then there's a like a whipped topping that has cream cheese and whipping cream and a little bit of sugar on top. Yum. Everybody devoured this recipe, including my kid who hates whipped cream. Mm. And his only request was to do it so that it was more a third, a third, a third, like a third of crust, a mm. third of filling, a third of... I think that that's a lot of crust, personally, yeah. but I hear what he was saying because the... The lemon or the lime filling was a little thinner than the thick whipped cream, and mm. he's not the fan of whipped cream. But I felt like that was still a win because he ate it and yeah. loved it. Have you been following Stephanie Eddy's? Uh huh. She's, I don't know if she's cooking all of them, but she's definitely working her way through a good portion of 100 cookies. Yes. And if, sharing the delicious results on her Instagram feed. So, yeah, if you're a listener and you're. I've been enjoying that very much. And you're playing along like Stephanie does, please let us know. Sometimes we miss it because if we're not looking at the the podcast account as much, but I definitely want to know about it. So, tag me. I made hazelnut chicken. The breaded hazelnut chicken from Tuesday Nights, the um, Uh, Christopher Kimball. This was a really different flavor. First, for starters, the number one most requested recipe in my household is breaded chicken. I could make it every single night of the week and nobody would be sad about it. Nobody would get sick of it except me because it's so much work. It was, it's slightly different than traditional breaded chicken because it's not flour egg breading. It's just chicken, which you've got to prepare and pound out and all of that. And then it's dredged in hazelnuts, basically. Mm. And you saute it off 
in the pan. It must need to be really thin because otherwise wouldn't the hazelnuts burn? The hazelnuts don't, they did not really burn. I think it had excellent flavor, but I would have loved it if it had a little bit of heat. Mm. And I didn't really, I mean. Paprika kind of heat or something? Yeah. Mustard, like ground mustard? Yeah, totally. Whatever would like best complement hazelnut, Mm. which is it's, is a very particular flavor when yeah. heated in a skillet, just like it is when it's toasted in the oven. Adam and I loved it. The kids, well, here's what happened. I made a giant batch of it, ran out of hazelnuts, and thought, well, I'll just bread the rest. So mm-hmm. I had about half done in hazelnuts and then did the other half traditionally with breadcrumbs, and the kids prefer the breadcrumb one. But we loved the hazelnut one. It was just different, totally different flavor. So that was kind of exciting. I made my own version of quinoa crunch. We had been at a friend's house and she had this crunchy quinoa left over from like a to-go meal. And it was cooked quinoa that was then oven roasted with lemon zest and salt and pepper and olive oil. So it was really crunchy. And you could put it on top of salads or they would put it in on top of their chicken and really tasty. So I figured out, I, I made a batch of quinoa and then we ate half of it. And then I toasted the other half on a tray in the oven with some lemon zest, salt, pepper, and olive oil. Not rocket science. It was maybe a little overcooked because it was really hard. Mm. And I think I probably should have pulled it out a little bit sooner. But I kind of like the texture and I will definitely be doing that again. It's a good component item for salads and tossing on top of other vegetables and that kind of thing. So it's kind of like a granola idea, Mm -hmm. except with quinoa. Yeah, and, and pretty savory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although you could go, yeah, you could spice it up in a lot of different ways. Ooh, spiced quinoa. That sounds good. And then I did the meatballs from Mad Hungry, the Lucinda Scala Quinn cookbook. I used to cook from that all the time. And then I grabbed it the other day to do a big batch of meatballs for my guys who, you know, breaded chicken and meatballs every night make them pretty happy. And I just want to revisit that cookbook again because there are some really great recipes in there. Really solid, but mostly carnivorous, I must say. It's heavy on the meat. It's pretty, pretty meaty. Yeah. There's a vegetable section, but it's still pretty yeah. meaty. And then I just wanted to point out to people that Monica has this really <laughs> delightful tradition. A couple weeks ago when I was making the ice cream maker that I borrowed from my, my dear friend, Monica lent me her ice cream cookbooks. I took them home and was comparing the recipes in Monica's cookbooks to some online and Monica's have all of these really delightful notations. And, and it's not just Monica's notes, but her mom has written in there. And who, who else? You're, Probably my sister. Your sister. and Maybe even my dad. I mean, this tells you how long I've had that cookbook because this is when I was still living at home. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. Anyway, I, I loved seeing all of these notes from different people. And I thought it was such a great way to remember a fun event or a, a meal and have other people write in there. I make notes in my cookbooks that might sometimes. Be, yeah, that might be the only one where I have other people write. Like, oh, okay. I will, I will usually make comments about who, who liked it. it. Yeah. yeah. I definitely make comments about, obviously, if I find an error or a step that I 
I wouldn't normally do, I'll make those kind of notations. And I definitely make a note if everybody loved it and sort of dog ear the page. Yeah. But I thought it was really fun to see everyone's handwriting in the cook, the, in the ice cream cookbook. That was delightful. Yeah. And I think I saw that one of our listeners does this, does similar cookbook notations. And it reminded me, I think it might have been Stephanie, actually. <laughs> and I just thought, what a good, I'm not as good about it, but I really like it. And it was fun to read. So, And it is fun when you go back, if it's a cookbook that you've had for a while, and you can see like, oh, I made this for, you know, Joe's birthday or, or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And how you felt about it. And I keep together the recipes that I use, especially for like Christmas, the Christmas mm-hmm. meals. Those get, I, I do keep like a Christmas book and those get tucked in there and I'll make notations about how many people it fed and where I got the beans or I don't know. Do not want to keep having to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. Especially for Christmas. Yes. For 26 people. Which, are we headed in that direction? I don't know. I don't know. I am, I am debating the, the birthday beef fondue celebration. We'll see what happens. Mm. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Okay. That, that's it on my table. Okay. On the nightstand. All right, people. This, (laughs) this is where You might just want to pause and go make yourself a cappuccino or a latte or something. Whatever your beverage, you might also feel like you need a cocktail. Right. Um, I have 13 books this episode. 13. To be fair, two of them are ones that I forgot to talk about last time. Yeah, that doesn't help. It's still 11. And several of them are super short like novellas. So 100 pages, maybe 110. So you can get through those in an hour. That's not a lot of commitment. Yes, but the optics are such that it is. We and several were, of them are audiobooks. We sat here 14 <laughs> days ago and recorded a podcast. That's almost a book. A, no, it's yeah. 11 but Okay, it's almost a book a day. Yeah, It's I don't, almost a book a day, crazy lady. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Okay, take it away. I mean, I wasn't meal planning, so (laughs) apparently I've been reading. All right. First one. I did want to talk about this one. Shadow Tag by Louise Erdrich. She wrote Night Watchman, which we both read and was really great. This is one of her earlier ones. This was not a brick. If you're looking for smaller books, this would be good. So there is a woman. She has been keeping a journal and she realizes her husband has been reading it. She's slightly annoyed. So she starts writing fake things in there to... (laughs) get him annoyed and that's awesome <laughs> keeps a separate journal in a safe deposit box at the bank where she keeps her real thoughts so they are clearly having marital issues and that is kind of she has to go to the bank every time she wants to write in her journal apparently so oh my gosh well, no, i mean she can write the fake stuff <laughs> so there are marital issues there's the whole you know all their family things that are going on she's Basically, she feels like their marriage is over and he refuses to acknowledge it. So she's trying to annoy him and get him to realize that they are done. It's one of those books where you're saying that I enjoyed it feels weird, but it was a very satisfying read. I think I probably enjoyed her more recent one more. And her writing is But it was, yeah, always. it was still beautiful writing. Lots of interesting characters, a lot of emotional resonance in there. So that one was a thumbs up. The other one that I forgot about, which I'm just going to mention briefly because I didn't care for it. Silent Patient by Alex Michelides. Woman shoots her husband. 
and <laughs> says nothing for the next seven years. So they put her in a asylum for the criminally insane. And there's a new doctor. He thinks he can figure out what happened and get her to talk again. So it's a thriller. It's got twists and turns. I can see why people liked it. It was the kind of thriller that I do not enjoy. You know, this was a book that I picked up and attempted to read, and there was something that turned me off. Normally, I'm really good and decide in like the first 30 or 40 pages to turn away. And that's what happened with me with this one. But I can't remember what it was. And I was like, no, not for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's infidelity and stuff. That might be why. Yeah. I also like I didn't like the way he was portraying mental health issues. Mm -hmm. It was very like, it's all in your childhood. And if you're abused, then you're gonna have yeah, you're gonna be crazy. Like, and I'm sort of choosing that word purposefully. Like, that's not how I view it. Right. But this is the view of the narrator of the book. So there was a lot of a lot of things going on there. What was the time period of that book? Oh, it's nowish. Okay. I think, yeah. Okay. Um, so problematic anyway. for us here but at it's podcast. And I just read his more recent yeah. one, The Maidens. And it was good, but I didn't love, love, love it. Yeah. So, okay. Again, your mileage may vary. And then I, I read a nonfiction Courtney made me talk about it. <laughs> yes, I'm eager to hear your review about this. It is called What Fresh Hell Is This? Paramenopause, Menopause, Other Indignities, and You by Heather Karina. They are a longtime sex educator, website, clearinghouse organizer, lots of knowledge about how bodies work and talking to people about them. And the impetus behind writing this book was that they had a medical scare. They live on a small island off of Washington, I think. So they went to their health center. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They got airlifted to the hospital on the mainland. No one else could figure out what was going on. Expensive tests. They felt better eventually. But despite the fact that they were 43 and with the body parts of a woman, no one discussed the fact that maybe what was happening was part of perimenopause. And what they later figured out, it was probably panic attack and hot flash combo. And they have a lot of health issues anyway, chronic illness. So all of it was kind of exacerbated. And so they were like, this is ridiculous. This no, was yeah, like, because nobody talks about They probably asked, are you pregnant? But they didn't ask. Right. Where are you at? And yeah, no one even mentioned it. In your fertility life cycles. Yeah. So they decided to write this book to educate people because that is what they do. So it was really helpful. It's also kind of funny and snarky, but also very understanding and looks at menopause that various people might experience. So cis white women, yes, but also people that have had hysterectomies or trans men or women of color, you know, Mm -hmm. there's lots of different experiences in the way and specifically sort of American European because other cultures are going to have different ways of looking at it. So they looked at the history of how it is dealt with, because that has affected how... Or not dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, recently it's kind of looked at as a disease, which it isn't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that kind of affects how people treat it. Right. Or don't. And then they look at all of the different effects that it has on the body and takes each one of the systems separately, how you might be able to better... I'm going to say treat. I don't mean that, but mitigate what's going on. So I thought very helpful in just understanding and what's going on and how you might handle it. They also reframe it as it's it's happening to you personally right. or it's happening to someone that you know. Right. right. 
And it's mostly in our culture treated as either a joke or something that needs to be dealt with. So it doesn't bother the people around you, but it's happening to you. So maybe they should be helping you out. And that a lot of times as women, we don't, we don't do well with letting others help us. So kind of like you really need to, like, this is a big deal. It might take a while. So you need to, you need to learn how to, to deal with that. I saw a really interesting discussion about this um, through Design Mom, who's Gabby Blair. Her take on uh, perimenopause is that we should be absolutely talking about it in every sphere. It happens to 50% of the population. The medical community is not great about helping navigate those waters. And, you know, we've lost the whole sisterhood coven (laughs) she gabby blair doesn't say this this is courtney now but we've lost our like original you know your 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 family group where you would talk about it with your sisters and your support network yeah and since we live farther apart we are further from having those discussions than we were when our lives were more contained you know like a hundred years ago and i think there were different ways of talking about it then than there are now it's, it is a fascinating topic. It just came out the beginning of this year. So it's very, very Re- recent. Recent and yeah. relevant. Yeah. yeah. It was both a light and serious take on an important issue. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the next one. Rogue Protocol by Martha Wells, number three in the murder bot. <laughs> very short. Okay. This one, uh, our robot friend is travels to another planet and is looking for evidence against the company that used to own it for various reasons. It hooks up with some more humans, has to save them from other evil humans and rogue robots. So it's still great. It's such a fun series. Uh, I'm looking forward to number four. Then A Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. This sounds familiar. It's because Courtney reviewed it last time and she handed me the library book and said, you need to read this. I said, okay. This one is the story of Esme Nichol, who is the daughter of one of the editors of Oxford English English Dictionary. Dictionary. So she grows up around words and in the scriptorium and ends up becoming an assistant editor and has all these other life experiences so you've got um, women's suffrage going on at the same time period. So it starts off late 1800s and goes through World War One. So you get a nice sweeping saga, lots of world events happening. And um, yeah, so I really, I really liked it. I loved all the history about words. She realizes that the decision making process for what words go in automatically mean that a lot of words are going to be left out. So she starts collecting those. So I love that way of thinking about words. That is what really, that was my chief connection to the book. Yeah. Was that only that every word had to have a texture, textual citation to something else that had been published, which meant it was largely the male lexicon. Right. So yeah, so that part was, was really interesting. Some of the, like the bones in her life story were felt sort of cliched and not as interesting, but the, the parts that were all fleshed out were super interesting. And, and I really liked that. I would recommend that one as well. And it seems like the author did a ton of research. Like she was in, she did, was doing a bunch of research at the dictionary archives and that was how she was inspired by the book. So that was really cool. And then another one that took place in Oxford in the 1880s, 
So this is the only connection between any of my books this time. A Rogue of One's Own by Evie Dunmore. It's a romance. Ah. But it was funny because, yeah, I read it right after Dictionary of Lost Words, and they both are taking place at kind of the same time. It's like, did they know each other? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, this is the second in a series, but like with most romance series, you can really read them in any order. So Lady Lucy is the head of the women's suffrage organization in Oxford. And she has just put together a consortium of women to buy a publishing house so that they can finally publish the results of their study on domestic violence in England. As she signs the final papers, she finds out that someone else has bought the two 25% shareholders. So there's now another 50% shareholder that she will have to work with. It turns out to be her childhood nemesis, Lord Tristan, Obviously, sparks fly, shenanigans ensue. It was delightful. It is less of a romp than some of them. There was a lot of emotion and some really thoughtful things about why she kept fighting so hard and wouldn't give up and wanted to maintain her independence. So yeah, so that was that was a fun little book and a very open door. And then <laughs> I listened to three Inspector Gamash books, 14, 15, and 16. 16 I just finished last night, so it's really into the wire there. <laughs> uh, Kingdom of the Blind, where he is... He's named executor of a will for a woman that he's never met. And, like, the day after the reading of the will, her one of her sons is murdered. So, obviously, he has to figure out what's going on with all of this. Why was he named? Why is the son killed? Etc., etc. A Better Man... A woman goes missing. So they're trying to find her. This one, there's a lot of domestic violence. And then All the Devils Are Here, which takes place in Paris. Ooh, very exciting. Yes, yeah, so there's a hit and run that seems to be, be on purpose. And then there's a murder in the hit and run person's apartment. <laughs> We're all, ooh, that's exciting. There's a hit and run and a murder. <laughs> Thanks, Louise. It is in Paris. Corrupted so it's very us. glamorous. <laughs> The food in this one was crazy. This one is a little bit... You can feel with these three that she has been doing this series for a while. You can't keep having people murdered in Three Pines. <laughs> so she's she's sort of having to come up with different plots and things are getting slightly wackadoodle. <laughs> <laughs> I think number 14 I really liked. They're all sort of blending together. One of them was like, this one was really good. This felt very solid. These have started going more sequentially through the books. A lot, Some of them in the middle, she starts, like she'll have the, the time flipping thing where you've got stuff happening now and then you go back six months and then you go back to the now and then you go back to the six months ago, which, you know, is fine, but it's, it's a choice, but it can get a little repetitive after a while. So now we're just going through the story, which is also really nice. Number 16 had some... No, actually... There are quite a few in 15 and 16 that are like, what did she just do moments where I was, I was like, no, this can't be happening. So that was very exciting. So yes, still good. And now I am waiting on the final or the currently most recent available book from my library. Still on audio, but hurrah! we'll see how long. I know, but then what am I going to do? I don't know. Actually, I think I'm going to check out The Wheel of Time, which is a fantasy series. Amazon has a TV show coming out in November. So, How many books are in the series? Twelve. Okay. That's... And they've all been written. Ooh. It's okay. done. It's been over for a while. Hmm. So, But I've never read it, which I don't know. So we'll see. Then I read Sword, Stone, Table, Old Legends, New Voices, 
which was edited by Swapna Krishna and Jen Northington, which is, and I'm taking this from the book, which I don't normally do, an anthology of gender-bent, LGBTQA+, race-bent, neurodiverse, and inclusive retellings from the vast lore surrounding King Arthur, Camelot, and the Knights of the Round Table. This was awesome. I loved it. There were several authors that I had read their other books, and I think some of these stories had already been written. Some of them they had collected for a conference they were doing, and some they specifically solicited. They arranged it by time, so they had some that were set in what we would think of as Arthurian times. They had some that were set in modern times. They had a couple that were future. A lot of them were, I mean, as it said, they're, they're not looking at like, here's Arthur, you know. So a lot of them were the smaller women characters. Some of the future ones, it was like the people went to see Arthur in a play and it really had nothing to do with any sort of Arthurian thing that I could pick up on, but it was still a really cool story. There was a romance one that was awesome. That's so, so cool. It was really good. And, and you forget how how many stories there are in the Arthurian canon. Like, yeah. There's so many ways you could go with this and they really leaned into that. And, and so I really I enjoyed it very much. And then Chess Story by Steven Zweig, translated by Joel Rottenberg. This was one of the short little ones. Um, it was written in 1942 by an Austrian Jew who had escaped to South America in the mid-30s. I think first he went to London and then Brazil, I think. It's a, it's a story about a chess game that takes place on a ship going from New York to uh, Buenos Aires. And the world chess champion is on board. So uh, some of the passengers set up a chess game to play him. And this guy appears from nowhere and he's like, he seems to know all about chess. But he said, oh, but I, I, you know, I haven't played in 20 years, you know, since I was a kid. So I don't know what's going on. So there's there's all these stories within stories and this tense, like what's going to happen? Is he going to defeat the chess player? Um, so that was a short, interesting little book. It was very, felt very 1942 or just that the writing style Mm-hmm. didn't feel modern not in a bad way it was very clear and there were some really interesting thoughts about chess and 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 what it does my my younger son is back into chess again um so he's been been diving deep <laughs> so i kind of want him to read this because like what happens if you get too into chess there were other there were other ex- extenuating circumstances in that so that one was interesting and and it gets a, a, a check off for my my reading books in translation Excellent. resolution and then my final one that went pretty quickly. A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. And this is the first one I've read of her. She has a whole other series that starts with A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which I've been hearing about for years, haven't read. Definitely going to go back and read. This one was such a beautiful book. Again, it's a little short book, like 150 pages. It takes place in a world where 200 years ago, robots woke up, became aware of themselves and said, you know, we don't really want to work in the factories anymore. We're going to go hang out in the woods. You leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. We'll come back and check and see if you need anything. And people were like, okay. (laughs) So now 200 years later, humans have actually done a pretty good job and sort of recreated their whole world. And there is a, a monk who is off doing their job near the woods. And a robot comes out and says, hey, I'm here to help. What do you guys need? And so it ends up being this whole exploration of I want to say humanity, but just selfhood, really. Destiny, what what does it take to be alive? What do you, you know, what do people need? It's a beautiful story of connection, and it's it's such a, an odd 
sounds sort of weird to say that about a book that deals with robots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a robot is the main character, but it was just such a beautiful, I think one of the blurbs on the front was, you know, it's like a warm cup of tea. And it's just, it is, that is definitely, and it's very comforting and thought provoking and and just nice, right? And and I feel like a lot of the books that I read are very adventurous, and I sort of get my escape that way, especially nowadays. Like, you need books that are not challenging sometimes. Absolutely. And this one, this one was just nice. I think I actually gave it five stars. I don't do oh that. Oh my goodness. I don't do that very often. No, you do not. Certainly at least four and a half. So those are my books. Well then, I'll how about keep, you? I'll keep this short and sweet. sweet. I have... I have three books, two that I'm going to talk about. My books were, well, two of them were really lengthy, and one of them I did not finish. So I read American Sherlock, and the subtitle is Murder Forensics and the Birth of American CSI by Kate Winkler Dawson. I got the recommendation for this book from a podcast that I listened to called Sharon Says So. I follow her on Instagram. Oh, she's she used to be a dyer. She started Three Irish Girls Yarn. No way. It's the government one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's super cool. <laughs> I really love her approach to teaching government and civics and politics mm-hmm. because she does not state her political leanings. And I think that it allows for a lot more conversation when, I don't know, I could talk about her for another hour, but I will not. Anyhow, the book that I'm talking about today is about Edward Oscar Heinrich, who was America's kind of first forensic scientist. And he was based here in the Bay Area at UC Berkeley. And he had a weird lab full of all kinds of stuff for testing for blood type from a crime scene and blood splatter analysis and hand printing and fingerprinting and the psychological side of things. The book unfolds through a series of chapters where he is brought in as an expert witness on a variety of cases. Oh dear, I'm going to forget the time time period that we're talking about. 1930s. And he worked for several decades doing this kind of work and really built the modern CSI that we know and watch on TV and read about in Louise Penny and all of that. It has, there are definite flaws to it, and some of his work has been discounted, and some of it is still used today. I thought the research side of this was really well done, and I honestly didn't finish it because it is kind of dense, And it was required back at the library, Mm -hmm. and they were done nagging me about it. So it might be something that I uh, loop back around to, but I think I read like two-thirds of it and found it pretty satisfying. I did listen to a Louise Penny, number five, The Brutal Telling, while I was doing all of that sewing. And all I can really say about this one is that It is all about art and art appreciation. And Emily Carr, who was a real Canadian landscape painter, there's there's so much art happening in this one, and it takes place in the woods of Three Pines. I (laughs) I feel like we're kind of on repeat with the Louise Penny, but I'm along for the ride. It's also great listening. I mean, I can listen while... It's a very soothing. Doing intensive sewing <laughs> yeah. projects. So it's a very soothing voice. 
Yeah. He talks about murder. Yeah, I know. It's just weird. I had some book struggles that I will not really delve into because forensically, I don't know why I turned one of those books away. But rest easy because I have found myself some new books and I'm deeply ensconced and happily reading. So I should have more than two next week. Cool. Well, I mean, I'm not going to have most. more than <laughs> I'm not going to have more than twelve, though. There's so, so many books out there. I know. What, what's a girl to do? That's all right. it. That's all I have for you. Perfect. But I did have one more bingo thing that I forgot to talk about. Bingo. Yep. We're done. We're done with bingo. Yay. We announced the winner. Well, Monica snuck it in last week, but while Monica was drawing names out of a hat. For bingo, I was desperate to do have a blackout because I have never had a blackout I know. in the history of the podcast. You've come very close. I have been one short every single year, so I was determined to beat my previous failings. So I did the pillows for the yep. living room. Super happy with that. And then my last one was to cook from a book. Those of you who... Oh, read, from a novel. From a novel. And I had been... I had read a ton of books at the beginning of the summer that were like the Lager Queen of Minnesota oh, and, and the, the coconut cake, the coconut cake one. And everybody in my house vetoed coconut cake, which meant I don't want to eat it. So at the eleventh hour, I cheated, <laughs> and I made a batch of Madeleines in honor of Proust and called it a day. Totally fair. <laughs> Do you have a Madeline pan? I do. Ah, nice. I have two Madeline pans, <laughs> and they came out great. I used cool. a very simple, straightforward um, Mark Bittman from How to Cook, How to Bake Everything recipe. I did one batch at night. You're supposed to let the dough age for, or the batter age for like four hours in the fridge. I was impatient and made one batch at night and I made the rest of it the next day and I can confirm that they were both delicious. <laughs> Excellent. Is there a Madeline recipe in 100 cookies? I didn't even look. I don't think um, so. I got no, the maybe it's in my cake book. It is considered a cake. Yeah, I got great domes out of both of them though. Nice. Like so good. I'm so proud. Yes. And they Fantastic. were de- devoured. Cool. Yeah. I'm sure they were. So I I just feel, sitting here feeling a little bit of a, I felt much more accomplished on Labor Day Monday when I really had that full blackout sheet. But That's very exciting. Well, congratulations to you. Congratulations to everyone else. Thank you for playing along. We'll be back next summer. If you, again, if you have any ideas about squares that you think would be good, let us know. We're always looking for ways to revamp it and, and make it extra delightful. And we love your input. And so, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.